0: We are your show hosts for this afternoon, and we are broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia here on the Vancouver campus from unceded Musqueam Territory. On today's show, we will be featuring two guests, but before we introduce our very first guest for this afternoon, I'm going to be doing a ticket giveaway for two different events, so please get your phones um, ready The first pair of tickets is for an upcoming performance at the Chan Center for the Performing Arts on February the 13th, 8 p.m. So this Saturday evening, uh, there is going to be a celebrated saxophonist, Branford Marsalis and his quartet. They will be delivering an evening of original works and renditions of timeless jazz Uh, classics. So if you are interested in attending this performance, please pick up the phone right now and call into the studio at 604-822-2487. That is 604-822-2487. And to encourage you guys Um, If you're listening to Call In, um, I will be playing the quartet's rendition of Whiplash. Again, if you would like to win this free pair of tickets for an excellent night of jazz at the Chan Center this Saturday, please call in at 604-822-2487.
1: Hi there, this is CITR, Arts Report. You're on air.
0: Oh, looks like they're off air now. All right, the tickets are still up, so if anyone's listening, please do call in. Like someone is calling in.
1: Oh, yep. And uh, looks like we. Oh no 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 there, no! There, there we is. go. Hello? hello hello.
0: Hello, this is the Arts Report.
2: Hi there. Uh, I was calling about the bradford
0: Marsalis ticket Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh my God. Yeah, you made it. You are our lucky winner. <laughs> Woo! Yes. Fantastic. So what we need to do is get your email address so that okay. we can get you these pair of tickets. So um, if you want to tell us your email address right now, you can. Or if you want, what you can do is actually
1: email us. That will be much more better. Please email us at arts, a okay. r t s at C-I-T-R, which is C-I-T-R dot yeah. C-A. With your okay. name and your uh, and your number, which we're going to write down so that we can verify your tickets.
2: Okay, cool. Oh. So it's arts, A-R-T-S
3: A-R-D-S at C-I-T-R dot C-A.
1: That's right. That's right. Because okay. we care about your privacy.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Thanks. I appreciate that.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Arts Report and stay cool.
3: Okay, right up. Thanks. Bye.
1: Bye. Wow, what a wonderful, wonderful pair of tickets we got to give. I'm so happy. Those will be a really perfect kind of event to take your date before Valentine's Day.
0: So the next pair of tickets we are going to be giving away on today's show is for February the 27th. Uh, This is the Saturday after reading break. Dee Dee Bridgewater, jazz songstress, and Irvin Mayfield, jazz trumpeter, will be having a concert displaying the development of jazz as a musical genre throughout history. This concert begins 8 p.m. at the Chan Shun Concert Hall. If you are interested in the 27th show, um, 27th jazz show, uh, please call in at 604-822-2487. And to encourage you to call in, we again have a promotional video for this event um, that's going to be playing for the next few minutes. Um, so if, again, if you would like to win a free pair of tickets for an excellent night of jazz music at the Chan Shun concert hall on february the 27th please call in at 604-822-2487
1: yeah sounds like a really really good time Hi there hello.
0: hello hello hi there are you here to are you here to uh for the chanchen uh tickets yes great
1: well that's that's really wonderful thank you so much for listening to our show again if you are interested in picking up your tickets please email us at arts which is a r t s at c i t r dot ca which is c i t r with your name and your number we've already logged it and you can verify for those tickets that's great thanks so much yeah thank you thanks so much bye-bye all right well as you can see here guys we have a lot of really cool stuff at the arts report thank you so much for listening and we're just going to play the uh promotional for this wonderful jazz event and then we're gonna get on with the rest of our show which has Amazing interviews, amazing reviews, and thank you again for listening to CITR's Arts Report.
4: So let us share with you today a little bit about something called the New Orleans Experience, which will be centered around Dee Dee Bridgewater and a release of our new record called Dee Dee's Feathers.
5: With Irvin Mayfield and the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra.
4: We are a 18-piece jazz orchestra featuring a wonderful, illustrious singer named Dee Dee Bridgewater. And this (laughs) music will feature an experience about New Orleans that has you imagine New Orleans through the lens of Dee Dee Bridgewater. We share a little bit of history Mm
5: -hmm. about New Orleans and this music that originated here jazz
4: everybody's got a story to tell yes they do and with the touring of dd's feathers we'll get to tell you the new orleans story
5: you need to join us if you want to have this new orleans experience
4: so in the new orleans experience we're excited to bring you a couple of unique things in our band first of all we incorporated the return of the banjo to the big band yes it makes an amazing sound. Also, we lead with the clarinet in our saxophone section. The clarinet is the top of the party. Mm-hmm. It cuts through the entire band. When you hear the clarinet in a band, you know the party is getting started. We have five trumpets in our band, mm-hmm. even a slide trumpet, and now a tuba. That's uh, kind of the musical representation of what the New Orleans experience would be. And at the center of all
5: that would be a wonderful vocalist named Dee Dee Bridgewater. And... In this New Orleans experience, we are inviting you to come into the new home of the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra. And that new home is called the New Orleans Jazz Market.
4: Welcome to the New Orleans Jazz Market.
5: Being in a jazz market
4: in New Orleans and us inviting artists from all over the world to come here
5: and share their stories. What do you want Didi Dee Dee Bridgewater stage to mean? To have this capability here in in a theater that you've decided will bear my name is amazing, it's awesome. My dream would be that the programming is going to reflect the melting pot that is New Orleans. We
4: have a new record coming out. Yes, we do. We're going to be bringing this music all the way around the world. What's our message for those people as we may be coming to their town with some of, uh, some of our music.
5: I think that the general message is that New Orleans is alive and well, and the music is alive and well, and there is now an, an official home for jazz music in the city of New Orleans. We recorded this in three days. This is crazy.
4: What a beautiful studio.
5: What an amazing old church. Studio, that old church. It
4: had a certain kind of vibe, a certain uh, soul to it. So everything in the session just seemed like it was, was right.
5: I also love the way that, that you like to work. There's a kind of, of uh, spontaneity that you, that you bring when you're in the recording studio. But um, it's an organized spontaneity. And I love how you can just come up with a lyric and a story like that.
4: I love the whole idea that people can write about a town and people can bring a lot of imagination to a place and they might not have necessarily had to even be from there or really been there. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how on Dee Dee's Feathers we say hold on steady. Hold on steady for so many different people can mean a lot of different things, but what did it mean for, for you?
5: To hold to your faith and your belief, to keep going no matter what happens. What I was also thinking about the whole time was the fact that you know it's gonna be the 10th anniversary of Katrina next year and i just think that it's so amazing that this city that new orleans held on in and, and doing this album we are giving a listener a new orleans a real mm-hmm. new orleans experience with all of the colors of new orleans because it is a colorful colorful place <laughs>
4: So come on down. We're excited about Dede's Feathers. We're looking forward to be touring this project, and we'll be seeing you really soon.
0: We will be right back with a few short we will be right back after a few short commercials. Please stay tuned. Yeah. My name is Christine Kim. And you are Ashley Park. Li- and you are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM.
1: Thank you. The Study and Go Abroad Fair is back on Thursday, February 25th. Meet face-to-face with top universities from around the world and start planning to travel. Learn about degrees in law, medicine, health sciences, arts, technology, pharmacy, business, hotel management, and much more. Check out our Travel Zone for volunteering, language programs, adventure travel, and work abroad. For more info, visit studyandgoabroad.com. There's also free admission.
6: Year, you and your community show your support for CITR by donating with Fundrive, our annual fundraiser. Get involved again this year with our theme, growing our cultures. This year, we've got a goal of $40,000 to improve the training and development of volunteers and to support the myriad of cultures represented on our airwaves. You can help us reach our goal, and it's not without perks. By donating, you'll receive cool CITR swag like growlers, LPs, on air shout outs, and more. It all starts on February 25th with a kickoff party in the pit and an old school telethon running all week
0: on air. We're excited. Are you? You are listening
1: to The Arts Report.
0: Our first guest um, for the evening is Barbara Bourget. She is the artistic director of Kokoro Dance and the co-producer of the Vancouver International Dance Festival. On on the line with her is co-founder of Kokoro Dance, Jay Hirabayashi. Um, he is the co-founder, as I said, of Kokoro Dance. And Kokoro Dance is one of Vancouver's longest-running dance companies. This company is unveiling their new home in the UBC Woodward building. Um... The more than 5,600 square foot of space will include a state-of-the-art, high-tech dance studio and production performance space. The studios will be made accessible and affordable to the downtown east side and performing arts communities, providing much-needed rehearsal and performance space in a city lacking options for many small and non-for-profit arts and cultural organizations. Thank you so much for being on the show, Barbara and Jay. Oh, you're welcome. It's lovely to be here.
7: Yeah, good. Good to talk to you.
0: So, how did you two manage to secure this new space for Kokoro Dance? Was it a difficult process to find this space?
8: Well, we started. uh, We heard about um, there was uh, the uh, city put out a call for proposals from not-for-profit societies for the space after W two vacated, and we heard about it, and so. We decided we'd throw our hat into the ring. I think Jay, there were about 30 organizations who um, came and looked at the space. We went to many, many meetings. Is that right? There were about 30 organizations.
7: Yeah, uh, uh, something like that.
8: And uh, we uh, were we were really interested at first in the office space, but. Um, We did look at the, there's a, um, there was a cafe on the main level, at the atrium level, and then in the basement there's this really large area, and um, we thought, uh, well, uh, let's try. So we put, we said we'd be interested in the office space, and then the city came back and said, well, if we helped you, uh, would this atrium space be a good dance studio? And then they came back and said, do you want the basement as well? And we said, Sure. I mean, it's a great, great opportunity. We've had Kokoro Dance for 30 years, and we haven't had our own home, and uh, we just couldn't pass up the opportunity to not only create a, a space, a performing, rehearsal, flexible production space with a dance studio on the main floor and then office space on the second floor. It wouldn't be just for ourselves. It would be a space that uh, the entire community could use, the greater arts community, and the downtown east side community.
0: Mm-hmm. Could both you, uh, you Barbara and Jay, elaborate on exactly what does this space mean for the Vancouver performing arts community that you've been talking about?
7: Well, uh, s- you know, Vancouver is one of the most expensive <laughs> cities to live in, as you know. Uh, and so um, studio space is also more expensive in Vancouver than most other cities uh, as a result of the high cost of, uh, of renting space. Uh, and there's a shortage of uh, spaces to rent, to, uh, to, to rehearse and teach and uh, create your work in. So it's a... It's an ongoing need of um, the performing arts community to, to have uh, decent studios to work in.
8: And, afford, and a, affordable, that's one of our goals, is to mm-hmm. try to make it as affordable as possible um, because, uh, you know, it's really difficult in the arts to, especially in dance, because dance is, uh, you can't actually do dance unless you have a studio space. So yeah. it's really, it, it, and then you have dancers, so it, you know to have to pay a lot of money to rent space and pay dancers, it gets a little bit um, stressful, to say the least. So we're hoping it'll be yeah. affordable.
7: B.C. has um, apparently the uh, largest per capita population of arts workers in the country, but it also unfortunately has the lowest per capita funding for the arts. So um, there's a dilemma that we always face.
0: That's a very eye-opening statistic that I haven't actually heard before, so thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, other than practice space for uh, dancers in Vancouver, how else do you guys envision that this space will be used in the future?
7: Well, we're making it also into a uh, the basement. We're also making into a, a place where um, you can record music or uh, video dance as well. So, or, or theater. Um, so, uh, it'll be it'll be of use to um, it, music groups as well as uh, dance and theater groups um, for uh, for both uh, creation, rehearsal, teaching, performance, and recording. What's
8: right. Purpose?
0: Right, and. It, is the design of this new space in the Woodward Building reflective of the of these kind of functions?
7: Yeah. Well, uh, the the basement already had a control room and an audio recording uh, room in it. Uh, neither were uh, finished. Um, so we're and there weren't any uh, dressing rooms uh, down there. There were public toilets, but uh, p- public washrooms. But there there was no uh, place for the performers to change or shower. So we're putting in a dressing room with uh, showers and a toilet and sink. Um, and a uh, small servery room for, for functions so uh, people can serve bed- beverages from there. And then we are improving the um, uh, acoustic soundproofing in the uh, control room and the um, recording room, as well as the main room itself. So they'll be better suited for um, amplified music and for um, for recording.
8: We're also going to put a <clears throat> excuse me sprung dance floor, um, not just in the atrium dance studio, but also in the basement uh, rehearsal production studio. So that it, because it's a it's a big space, it's going to be multi-use. So you don't it's not a it's not a traditional black box. It will, you'll be able to use the space in different configurations depending on what you want to do as the whole space will have a sprung dance floor. It's really, really exciting. I mean, it's it's one thing to be able to, you know, have uh, a show in a, in a space that's already there, but to be, to be able to envision the space changing um, according to the work that you want to do is fantastic. And we're going to put a grid across the whole top so that lights will be able to be it, the whole space will be lit. Uh, it's really exciting, and, and um, renovations are going to start soon, so we're, we're getting really... Um, well, I'm excited. You can tell.
0: <laughs> it's great to hear about the ways that you guys are going to further renovate this space so that um, you guys are able to use it for all these um, great purposes. Um, now, I did hear that more than half a million dollars was raised for this project, and I guess specifically for these renovations to take place. Tell me about how this large sum of money was fundraised.
7: Well, we had the support of the city, and um, I mean, they, they were very interested in helping to make this space not only um, available but also viable, um, and they knew that it required a lot of renovations. Um, So they committed to um, helping us uh, raise the money. So we raised um, $145,000 through the city's cultural infrastructure fund. And then we were also able to get uh, another $100,000 from um, the Downtown Eastside Capital grant program from the city. And then we used those funds um, and uh, a small grant that we had already from, BCR's Council uh, to match, um, to get a matching grant from the Department of Canadian Heritage, um, the Canada Cultural Spaces Fund. So um, most of the funding has come from government sources uh, and uh, only about 10 percent uh, that we had to raise in cash. Um, and... Uh, but we
8: need more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we, we
7: uh, the budgets that we did were based on the dollar before it had its dramatic drop in value, and a lot of the equipment comes from outside of Canada, so we still have more money to raise.
8: And and we are going to uh, start on a, a fundraising campaign through the through Kokoro Dance and also through the Vancouver International Dance Festival. And people shouldn't be shy about helping us out. <laughs> Because it's for you know it really is for the entire community and for the city it will be an enriching thing I think. Is
0: there a target date for when this space will have its grand opening? Yes,
8: <laughs> finally. Go ahead, Chase.
7: Well, the the renovations uh, will probably start uh, in a week or so uh, in the basement. We still have to wait for the city to do some demolition in the uh, main floor studio because there's a concrete stairway that has to be removed. And the city's also extending the second floor slab over uh, where the, the concrete stairs used to um, go up to. <coughs> so um, and the city doesn't move quite as fast as we do. So um, we expect or we're hoping that the city's renovations will be done by the end of April and our renovations then uh, by um, May sometime. So hopefully uh, we'll be working in the space uh, in June or July.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for uh, letting us know. And as the arts report, we will definitely be looking forward to that grand opening.
8: We're gonna invite you.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, then, okay. hopefully, uh, you guys can uh, be sure to give us updates on how the renovations are going, as well as um, how VIDF goes. Sure, sure. Love to.
7: Yeah, if uh, you go on to the Kokoro Dance website at uh, kokoro.ca, k o k o r o o dot ca, there's some pictures of the uh, the the uh, architects. 3D uh, renderings of what the studios will
0: look like. Fantastic, great. Well, uh, I hope to uh, hear back from you too soon. Thank you. Great, thanks. Have a good day. You too. Right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You are listening to the Arts Report at CITR 101.9. We are going to be right back after a few short commercials with another great guest.
2: Tune in Sundays from 9 till 10 p.m. for bootlegs and b-sides with your host, Doran, for the finest in soul, dubstep, ghetto funk, and electro.
0: Strength. Dignity. Respect. Beauty. Self-worth. Safety. Confidence. Choice. Hope. Hope. The Beauty Night Society is a registered charity dedicated to helping marginalized women introduce trust, hope, and self-esteem into their lives.
6: Through its popular makeover program, the Beauty Night Society has touched the lives of thousands and reintroduced a healthy touch to the the lives of vulnerable women throughout British Columbia,
5: creating real life makeovers.
0: Please visit www.beautynight.org for information on programs and on how to help. Beauty
5: night, because, because dignity, dignity is beautiful.
2: Estorinos I I is located off Commercial Drive in the heart of East Vancouver. It's run by the Britannia Community Centre and is available to rent for anyone. Some of its features include tall ceilings, wood floors, accessible bathrooms, a stage, and a PA. Astorinos is an accessible space and centrally located. It's ideal for any type of rehearsal, information session, dance classes, arts and craft sales, rummage sales, community events, and of course, shows and dancing.
1: Check out BritanniaCenter.org and the Facebook search Astorinos or contact Maddie Harris by email at maddiefromlife
6: at gmail.com to learn more.
5: Another night's work well done. And so easy, without that nuisance Spider-Man. I didn't know you cared. You!
3: Yes, Electro, and I'm going to short-circuit you once and for all. You would have been better off in the hands of the police. You are no match
5: for my power.
3: It takes more than power to win. It takes brains and knowing your enemy.
5: I'll pick my power against your brains any day. What
3: was that? That, my thieving fiend, is the result of brains.
0: Use your brain. Turn off all the lights when you leave a room.
6: If every household in B.C. turned off one light bulb for four hours a day for one year, it would save enough electricity to power all the homes in mission for an entire year. This Power Smart Play brought to you by... BC Hydro Power Smart and CITR
8: 101.9 FM.
1: And welcome back to the Arts Report. I'm your host Ashley Park and with me today we have a really, really cool guest. I'm so excited to bring her here. We have Miss Alex Miller. She was from Eurydice which we've all kind of told you how amazing it was. It was a UBC theater and film production and if you did get to see the show, which I highly recommend people did, and a lot of people actually turned up, then you would have seen the wonderful, wonderful costuming. She is the costume designer of that show. And thank you so much for joining us here today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi. Yeah. So first of all, wow. Uh really I think when I when I the first thing I noticed is how really good everyone looked. Like there was like a I don't know how to describe it. It was just when I got there, I watched this on closing night uh, with a friend of mine. And one thing that we saw, it was very like, there was like a whimsical nature to the costuming, yet also at the same time, a weird kind of sinister feeling happening near uh, some of the end with some of the other costume choices, especially the the undead people or the dead people. (laughs) Dead people is, I suppose, a good way to put it. All right. So first of all, I guess, what was your inspiration for the costumes?
6: Um, Well, several things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So you always, when you approach a costume design for a play, you always start from if there are any references in the script that you want to work with. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that initial design process uh, is done in close tandem with what with the director so that you're achieving the vision that direct that the director wants uh, for the show as well as making sure you'll you'll talk to the other departments like set and lighting um, and sound to sort of create this integrated thing so the first thing I actually did wa- after I read the script was to sit down with the director Kelty Forsyth yes yeah, she's
1: um, the uh, MFA candidate in directing at UBC and the director of the show
6: yes um, and so I sat down with her and our set designer Po Lung. Um, to sort of talk about what we thought of the show um, and what we thought of things that were included in the script versus not included in the script. And out of that meeting, we sort of pulled um, a few kind of key ideas that we wanted Mm -hmm. to see, and then I sort of built on that from there. So those key ideas were, um, throughout the play, there's a lot of references to water, which is, I think, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that I played up. Um, There's in the set design, a huge water pipe on stage, as well as the elevator that has practical rain coming out of it. So I wanted to do something with the costumes that made it seem like they were interacting with their environment. Um, So what I ended up doing was a sort of paint effect on uh, all of the characters who are in the underworld, um, so that it looked like uh, they had been uh, water-stained, basically. Mm-hmm. So it, it, was, it was coming from the idea of what is the underworld like. It's very wet. It's very um, cave-like. Um, so you'd get mineral deposits and just staining of things. So that's uh, the biggest and coolest idea that I had. Um, other things from that uh, were the idea for the sort of overworld, we call it, the, the characters who are alive when they're mm-hmm. alive. Um, there are a couple time references in the script that sort of place the story in a, a vague kind of mid-1900s area of time. Yeah, I did um, notice that. Yeah, so that that's something from the script references that I used um, as much as I wanted to or didn't. Um, and the other... I guess big image that we worked with was um, there's a there's a reference right at the beginning of the script um, that the the underworld should not resemble the Greek underworld so much as it should resemble Alice in Wonderland.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
6: so that is actually where the three stones came from. Uh, what Keltie and I wanted to do was really punch them out and distort their shapes to be something less humanoid and more Stone-like, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I did notice, like, I think, like, the skirts had, like, a huge kind of, like, I don't know the technical term for it. It's tulle. Ooh, tulle. That's what
6: you'd make tutus out of for (laughs) for ballet. It's a very uh, stiff material, and depending on what you do to it, you can get um, volume, basically. So, uh, for the stones, I actually have three pictures of rocks on my computer um, (laughs) that I just pinned up on the board (laughs) and uh, tried to make the shapes kind of go with that so you use the tool and you pat it out to like a big boulder shape or kind of a really pointy shape it's a very cool material to use for that
1: uh, listeners you may not be able to see this but you can still look at the pictures if you go to UBC theater site. they do have a um, pages linking to Eurydice I'm looking at it right now what you've done with this kind of uh, material is I you mentioned that you painted it mm-hmm. how how different was this kind of uh, painting Style, I guess, in comparison to the underworld denizens.
6: Um, well, pretty similar, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the stones and as well as the the chorus of sort of underworld folks are c- quite closely linked in my mind mm-hmm. um, in terms of their their sort of role and function, where they fit in in the world. Um, so I did end up doing a rather similar technique for both of them, or rather, I got some paint references and made my assistants do it for me um, so I had I had two really helpful as, uh, assistant designers who I basically passed on all of the the painting stuff to uh, Megan Laverne and Christian level um, so props
1: to them on that I guess then one person that does actually stand out that's a little more different than everyone in the underworld is actually the uh, the lord of the underworld which is a small child mm-hmm and I, I saw what you did with him, and I wanted to ask, and uh, if you didn't see it, spoiler alert, why stilts?
6: Well, why stilts Why indeed? stilts? Uh, <laughs> that was Kelty's decision, actually. Um, so the, in the sort of plot of the show, um, the child lord of the underworld comes on sort of in the middle and has this conversation with Eurydice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, oh, you're too small. For various reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end he says, oh, I'm growing, I'm growing, just you wait and see, basically. So he leaves and then he comes back and he says, well, I've grown. So Kelty decided to put the actor on stilts, (laughs) which then I had to design around, which was, Mm -hmm. um, because I am a person interested in the practical side of this as well, I do, I I did quite a lot of the sewing and construction on it, that's, um, I think, more my area of interest Than design Mm -hmm. even. Um, It was definitely a learning experience trying to do a fitting on someone on stilts.
1: (laughs) That is true. Yeah. Um, I I noticed that you went with a fire motif. So it looks like his legs are on fire. Care Mm -hmm. to explain?
6: Well, it's hell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, It was... uh, the the actual idea that that came out of was that I wanted to sort of reveal uh, throughout the play that this is a really sinister character through the use of color on the costumes. So um, mm-hmm. this is the actor comes back in sort of three different forms of the same character, and each time he has a little bit more red on his costume. Mm-hmm. So I had to make the last one really stunning, um, and the fact that it became flames was almost not part of the design it just sort of happened because of the material material we were using mm-hmm. it just looked right so i did it
1: <laughs> then i guess what would uh, what would the contrast be cuz you have the stones you have the underworld denizens they are all kind of gray almost washed out like you mentioned cave wet what was your plan for orpheus
6: um my plan for orpheus was it's uh, s- similar to my plan for everyone who was alive at one point. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who isn't like the stones and very, very dead has a pop of color to them. So um, Eurydice and her, her father uh, who are dead for most of the play retain some characteristics of being alive. So they have a little pop of color. He's got a bright bow tie. She's got a bright hair bow. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Orpheus, I needed him to both be, colorful so we know he's still alive but also look sad and like Ah. he's in mourning for Eurydice so it was very much a balancing act of what color evokes life but also sadness Um, so I ended up taking him through a sort of series of colors so in the in the beginning of the play he starts out in um, like yellow and sort of a Mm -hmm. bright green very matching with Eurydice's costume um, and he slowly gets more teal and more blue until finally at the end of the at the end of the show he's quite gray mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and I saw your sketches for the designs of the costume so what is your process like you said you have kind of like an idea in mind how do you go about actually designing ha good question <laughs> um, it if, for me this is it's
6: fairly similar through I think all designers but for me my process is um, I need to start by talking to the director and seeing what the director is really sure that they want to see in mm-hmm. the show before I feel like I can make any, any sort of strong choices. Because yes. um, I don't like to fight with directors because you can't get anything done. Um <laughs> Yeah. So I start with I start with that and then I go actually to Pinterest. Um, it, I, and I do something called mood boarding, which people used to do by cutting things out of magazines and actually gluing them up somewhere. But now we can do on the Internet. <laughs> um, so I'll just make a Pinterest board and I'll uh, start by searching things that are referenced in the script. So Alice in Wonderland, uh, the underworld um, kind of the, the time references that they gave me with the, that sort of mid 1900s. Look and whatever sort of looks right to me, I sort of play on that and I'll start searching weirder, weirder, weirder and weirder things. I ended uh-huh. up in the world of goth makeup and like cyberpunk <laughs> makeup at one point, uh-huh. so it gets a little strange. So, once I've done all of my sort of, once I've got all these pictures in my head from other sources. I sort of just think about it while I'm, you know, washing dishes for the next week or so. Uh, and when I feel inspired, I start sketching. Um, and often the night before I have a design presentation, <laughs> I have to get really inspired. Um, but uh, anyway, so we'll, we'll – I'll, I'll do some pre-sketching. I'll We would have periodic meetings to see where the design is at and get feedback from the director and other departments. Um And over the course of a little bit over a month in this case, um, I get to my final renderings, which are full color, exactly what I want to see go on stage, Um, which once they're approved by the the director, I take to the practical side of things, which is the wardrobe department. We get everything costed out to see if we can afford to do the show like I want it, (laughs) and then we start building exactly what I drew, which is very, very cool to see happen.
1: Were there any challenges in actually the, uh, the I guess the um, you have your design and everything, but were there any challenges in actually having the materials for it or any other sort of blocks along the in, way? In the build process, you mean? Yeah. Um, well, there always
6: are. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> honestly, this, was, this is the, the smoothest show I've ever experienced. Um, I think a big initial stumbling block was that we could afford to do the costumes for mm-hmm. the show if mm-hmm. we did basically no hair and makeup. But I wanted to do some hair and makeup. Yeah, I want to <laughs> talk about that too. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I'll make this brief then. Um, so what I ended up doing was going through the stock that we have, which is pieces that are already built that we, you know, don't mind parting with since I'm going to paint so much on them, um, or fabric that we have in stock for whatever reason that I might be able to use to build the things rather than buying it. So that was a big initial challenge. Um other than that, the thing I found that took up the most of my time was that the chorus, um, it was very difficult to design sort of preliminarily because mm-hmm. um, they didn't really get fleshed out as who their characters were until the rehearsal process. Oh, yeah. So I ended up with a, quite a vague um, rendering for them Um and just sort of talked to the director and said, I'd like to pull this from stock to save money. It's gonna be gray. It's gonna have these paint effects on it and it'll go together, I promise. And she said, okay, Mm -hmm. and then I did it. But it took about a month of throwing things on dress forms and staring at them (laughs) and shaking my head and doing it all over again.
1: (laughs) Uh, Talking a little bit about uh, makeup, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the bold kind of almost like patterns on the faces of the little, of the stones. Mm What was your intention behind that? Um, it was the distortion thing again. Mm-hmm. Um,
6: I, what I, I wanted to do something on their faces because uh, the rest of their bodies were so busy with the costumes and the paint details on the costumes and the shapes. Um, so I needed to do something with their makeup that was weird and cool. Um, but I didn't. Want it to emphasize the features that are traditionally emphasized by makeup. So typically, you'll you'll do the eyeliner, the eyebrows, the 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 highlighter, the blush on the cheekbones, mm-hmm. and the lips, right? But instead of doing that, I put some weird shapes on their faces that made them look like they were different shapes. Mm-hmm. So um, there was one, the one I thought was the most effective in doing this was the Loudstone. She's got a big sort of triangle down the middle of her face, Yes. and it made her face look quite thin and pointy in a way that it isn't actually. Mm -hmm.
1: And again, if people are interested in seeing these uh, really cool design choices, you can see them at uh, um, UBC Theatre's website. And one last question. Mm -hmm. Um, What was actually one of your favorite costumes for the show? Oh, oh, and also this last, last question too. (laughs) Can you tell me how you guys got the Rainy Elevated work, or is that stage magic? Because I really (laughs) wanted to know how you guys did that.
6: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you what I do know about the raining elevator, yes. um, which is it really rained. There was real rain, Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> first of all. So that's, you know, stunning. Um, I know it was really difficult because one of the, the carpenter who was in charge of doing it, mm-hmm was complaining about it all the time. <laughs> um, I know there was a water tank in the top and a water collection unit at the bottom. And wow, some of yeah. stagehands had to fill it at some point, I think. Okay, that's and all right. Yeah, that's all I know. That's all right.
1: <laughs> I, I just really want to know if it was real or if my eyes were deceiving it me. It was real water. Oh, yay,
6: that's so yeah. cool. UBC um, theater, wow, prop. <laughs> yes. Uh, and just very quickly, I have to say my favorite costume mm-hmm. was on the lead uh, she had just this this totally precious dress. The stones are a very 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 close second, mm-hmm. but uh, the lead had this totally cute little gray dress that I just thought like fitted her to a T. And what was that inspired by? Um, I wanted to have some kind of dress that made her look again sort of mid nineteenth century, but more importantly, very young and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a huge Peter Pan collar, which is um. Something that one usually associates with children, and it's um, sleeveless and quite, it doesn't look very warm, which is sort of in contrast to a lot of the people in the, in the underworld ended up in sort of sweater mm-hmm. sorts of things. So I think it really highlighted the sort of emotional situation she was in, and I
1: was very pleased with how it was executed. Yeah, same here. Again, very, very beautiful. And for people who are interested in maybe watching an, an upcoming show from UBC Theatre, what do you guys have planned? Uh, on deck, we have *Arabian Nights*, mm-hmm. which I cannot
6: remember when it's opening. I want to say end of March, <laughs> um, very, very soon. Um, it's a it's a play by Mary Zimmerman, and uh, the costume design will be by uh, Nicole Berstow. It's directed by another MFA uh, directing candidate, uh, Evan. Oh, goodness, I can't remember his last name. Evan, wonderful guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, thank you so much for coming on to our show today, Alex. And really, again, great work on Eurydice. Amazing show. And also, we're looking forward to seeing Arabian Nights, which is coming up very soon. Now we're going to play a few short PSAs. Then we have our cool favorite art crew who will be coming in just a few seconds later. Thanks for listening. (laughs)
4: Thank <laughs> There's only one way that old clunker is going to make you feel good again. Donate it to Bullying Canada. Check this out.
6: Free towing or pickup of your old vehicle. A tax-deductible receipt. And a super easy
5: process. Online at BullyingCanada.ca. Get rid of that old vehicle and
6: feel good about supporting real solutions for change in your community. Donate your old or used vehicle
5: to Bullying Canada today. Full details online at BullyingCanada.ca.
1: Thousands of opinions are at our fingertips. But are all opinions informed? Does your information have a source? Is your social feed based on fact? Only facts can uncover the truth. Professional journalists are committed to balanced and non-partisan reporting, to independent commentary. They cut through the spin to give you the information and perspective you need.
8: Journalism is
1: essential to democracy a watchdog over the powerful, an independent voice. Journalism is more important than ever. All right, welcome back to the Arts Report. Everybody, just so you know, Sharing Science is not on today, but it's okay. They'll be Sharing Science again next, next week, because next week is reading break. But anyways, this is the Arts Report. I'm your host, Ashley Park, and I'm joined by my really cool really awesome arts reporters!
3: Well, I, I, I made it here anyway. Uh,
2: Jake. Hi. I'm Andy Ta.
1: Jake, I need your full name.
2: Oh, Clark. I think that's right, yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, guys, you guys have something really, really cool for us today. Why don't you
3: go first, Jake? Well, uh, I'm just here to give the obligatory plug for the Norm, norm Bouchard Theater in the old Student Union building. And uh, this it's been an interesting course of events for the Norm recently because there's oh, been right. a, uh, a debate within the film society uh, mm-hmm. who, who run the Norm about the uh, the lack of representation by uh, contributions from female directors. Mm-hmm. And but, but that, that's been uh, considered. And actually, they started this Sunday with a very strange double feature. Of American Psycho and uh, the Slumber Party Massacre, both of which were directed by women. Yeah, really. And and they continue that through this week. Uh, today there is Thirteen, which very interesting story behind it. Um, two of its stars, one of, one of whom is Holly Hunter, actually wrote it as a comedy, and then the director so uh, and then director thought it would be best reimagined as a drama. It became actually very. It's a really bizarre coming of age story. <laughs> And it's it can be pretty chilling at times. So it's been it was written, directed, and stars um, women. Mm-hmm. The, the, so there is that. And uh, tomorrow there is. But I'm a cheerleader, which is
1: oh, I remember. But I'm a cheerleader.
3: Yeah, it's this is a comedy. I, I the, as far as I understand the principle, it's this very wholesome young lady who gets sent to a, a reprogramming camp for gay people because. You know, some some people do that, and that's really yeah, a terrible thing.
1: Yeah, um, I think they were trying to convert her because they yeah. believe that she was a lesbian.
3: Yeah. But at mm.
1: camp, like I think there's a twist on it.
3: Doesn't she become a lesbian at the camp, or I'm not, I'm, I'm not certain Spoiler that would. Spoiler be... alert! Oh, yes, d-
1: she does.
3: <laughs> oh dear. Well, I I have I've not seen the movie, so I, mm-hmm. I wanna I, I want to see how that pans out. It's a cult classic. I, I definitely I definitely think so. So is so is thirteen, and uh, that that is just a fragment of the programming but i will not be able to make an informed decision on it because i will not be here Aww. for the weekend so i wouldn't want to plug a show that i couldn't be at <laughs> but I, I definitely say the norm I, it, this goes through the entire weekend they do not have any features on break week though
1: okay yeah all right um uh is there anything else that we should know about
3: uh not at the moment no but uh, we'll, we'll be back next next arts report i we will tell you about the new features coming Ooh, with the all right we're schedule
1: Oh, that's really cool we're gonna now throw the ball over to andy Ta.
2: hi guys uh so <laughs> last week last wednesday me and ashley we went to see a play called huff mm-hmm. directed and starring a guy named cliff cardinal at the fire hall uh, arts center yep. theater yeah yeah um so huff is about a teenage boy who lives on a reservation it's it's the 80s even though it references the sega genesis which came out in '89. I looked this up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it kind of follows. Uh, it's still the '80s. It's still the '80s. '89. It's yeah. kind of like late, a though. late late '80s. Late late yeah. '80s. Yeah, um, and it follows this this teenage boy and following the de- the suicide actually of his mother. And you know, there's a bunch of characters, and uh, Cliff Carnell plays them all. Um, in particular, uh, he plays also the two brothers. You know, he's an older uh, brother who possibly has fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. sexually abusive. And he has he has a younger brother as well, um, who is kind of this precocious kind of kid. is a bit immature, but uh, they're in this together, right? They mm-hmm. share a kind of addiction. Uh, you, would you say that an addiction to airplane airplane fuel?
1: I thought it was uh, yeah, really? like gasoline, like gasoline. Yeah, huffing, like like huffing,
2: yeah. right? So they they have they have oh okay, so yeah. it's oh okay. This is oh, a that's, thing. That's quite yeah. That, that it yeah. is. <laughs> So, yeah, there's, there's, yeah there's, a, there's a kind of danger, I think, um, in a play like this insofar as uh, there's a way that the audience can just see it and they'll be like, wow, this is this is terrible. And they'll compartmentalize it. Right. They'll look at it. And this doesn't concern me because it's so far away. Mm. Um, so let's talk about some of the ways that maybe Cliff Cardinal kind of goes about combating this potential let's talk about humor in, yeah in let's this. talk about humor right so i think we both laughed in a few times uh, in this play i think i laughed a bit more than you
1: yeah you laughed a bit more than me yeah, um, yeah. and
2: i think the audience laughed a bit more than both of us <laughs>
1: yeah that's true the audience did laugh a little bit more than yeah. us there were um there are actually instances where it was just like you could totally see when he switched his character like the little brother so adorable like so precious yet at the same time he's like Huffing gasoline, too? Right. Yeah, it was, like, kind of, like, weirdly tender, even though it's such, like, a... Oh, no, this little kid's huffing gas. But he's like, yeah, do it again! Yeah.
2: I mean, do you feel... Did you feel, like, kind of guilty, I think, laughing at in some of these situations? Sounds
3: profoundly disturbing.
1: It was... It was quite dark, but um, I did interview the artist, and he told me it was supposed to yeah, also, it, you know, have, like, a lot of, like, lightness to it. I actually did feel uh, guilty at some points, uh, especially in, I guess, like, parts of, like, where it was a little, like, you know, a little abusive, a little violent, and then I just couldn't, like, I couldn't mm-hmm. find, like, the funny of it, because I right. kind of knew even though the characters are making light of it, because, you know, that's what happens when you're in, sometimes in a shitty situation, the best way for you to, to do it is mask it with humor, mask right. it with self-deprecation.
2: Yeah, and I'm not saying that, like, the only proper response to, to horror is, is a kind of po-faced stoicness, right? that's That's wrong. Humor is a totally valid response to many situations in life, and but the thing, I think, in, in, this, in this play is that you're often laughing at these characters instead of yeah. laughing with them, you know. Uh, the way these characters cope is not necessarily with humor. It's, it's with, it's with uh, airplane feel, right?
1: Yeah, like gas. Yes. Right. Just yes. hmm. It feels
2: like often you're laughing at the physical comedy, the slapstick, you're laughing at inadvertent jokes, maybe. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily, like, they're using humor. The characters themselves are using humor to, to situate themselves, or uh, to... Um, to really deal with, with you know cycles of violence and, and addiction and, and poverty, et cetera, et cetera, right?
3: And is that intentional, the, the slapstick? Is that intended yeah, to bring de- de- the situation de- to the humor? Definitely. okay definitely. Yeah,
1: so. it, some actions were exaggerated, I think, okay. to bring in that kind of physical comedy. But I think for me, when I actually, when I felt like a genuine sort of laughter is actually the ironic parts mm-hmm. of, the, uh, of the play, and um, it's no longer running right now, and... Um, uh, if, if people you know, do get a t- chance to see it in the future, they should. It's quite thought-provoking. That is like one thing. I, I would agree, yes. I, I would agree that it's quite thought-provoking. One thing I, I genuinely laughed is there's, a, there's this choice that an audience is given at the start of the play. Right. And uh, it has to do with the main character's own journey. And they give this audience basically this kind of command to like not do this one thing that the main character asks them to do.
2: I think we can tell them because it's in the beginning. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we, sure. We begin like in the midst of his suicide, essentially, mm-hmm. and he gives the audience uh, the yeah. instruments of his suicide and tells the audience member not to give the give it back. Yeah. And this com- kind of comes back around at the end end of the play, mm-hmm. right? The instruments of his suicide. Could you elaborate on that? Uh, he wraps Pla- plastic. He wraps a plastic bag, bag around his, his head. head and just auto affixation, basically
3: oh, oh okay so but he uh, oh, okay so he
1: gives yeah. him the bag and says don't give it back to me no matter right. what but the way that the ending like it was I, I think it was just kind of like really ironic in that kind of like way and i don't know why i think it was like a laugh of like "Whoa, i can't believe this happened like a laugh of disbelief but mm-hmm. i still thought it was a really kind of um i, I don't know it was a very the, the choice to do that Right really surprise the audience, and then some people will like shock laugh about it
2: yeah, I think um there's so there's two ways the ending can go like the audience member could have given the bag back and mm-hmm. it, they could have not right, and I think it's more effective if the audience gives the the bag back, really I think it is, I thought it because w- it's all about mm-hmm. an audience implication, right, um the sense that. We're part of this. That's kind of what he's trying to do, I think, in some places. Because there's a lot of points where he's, he's breaking the fourth wall, right? That is true. Oh, in the, the most correct. literal way possible. It's like interacting with the audience.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing I really did like um, that he does with interacting with the audience is that we're seen as, quote-unquote, imaginary friends or you know spirit
2: right. guides. Exactly, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I did like that kind of like feeling that we're there, but also there unless like the characters believe it. Mm-hmm. And one thing I do have to commend is his use of body language.
2: Right, yeah, because he has to play, like, a, almost a dozen characters, I think.
1: Almost, yeah, a lot of different characters.
2: Yeah. So he really has to differentiate them um, with body movements, with facial expressions, with cadence of voice, with posture. hmm Yeah
1: one of my uh, favorite i think we mentioned that we do love the youngest brother like he the way he plays him is very to that age right yeah yep and then still but you know but still a little gritty cuz you know that you know poor kid you know had to go through all that but he's still that he's <laughs> not he's
2: not jaded right he's
1: not jaded at all no and i also really like the girlfriend
2: yeah yeah right yeah yeah the the girlfriend of the father you mean
1: mm mm-hmm, the girlfriend of the father i yes. thought she was also a pretty um, I I really wanted to know more about her too. Like there was like the way that he uh, portrayed her made, didn't, she didn't feel like a flat out stereotype girlfriend. Like, Oh, like the one that doesn't care about the kids. Like she really cares and everything.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She doesn't, she doesn't know how to deal with the situation.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah.
1: Overall, how did you feel about Huff?
2: Conflicted? I think, Mm -hmm. um, I really don't, I saw a similar play at the fire hall. Um, last a few months ago called God in the Indian which mm-hmm. which kind of tonally uh tries to straddle the same kind of uh the balance between a kind of horror and and a humor but I think in that play humor is used by the characters to to for, for comfort right it's, mm-hmm. it's a way to defend themselves and in this it doesn't seem quite like that the humor is used more for an audience maybe who doesn't really want to watch this really terrible, terrible things happen over and over again, which is fine. But, you know, there's a feeling that you're laughing at these characters.
1: One thing I do have to also kind of commend the uh, stage design is how they kind of committed to making the atmosphere kind of heavy with very minimal sort of um, effects. Like when we walked in, I think it smelled like beer, right?
2: Yeah, there was was beer. Yeah,
1: it smelled... (laughs) so strongly of beer i think i was telling you oh i feel sick right yeah and um don't know how they did that to make it smell like that but once we've even gotten into the atmosphere like you really feel like you're in that kind of place yeah. and the use of lighting i like the use of the sega genesis sound effect <laughs> that was i think that was when we really actually laughed yeah because yeah. it was like a
2: it's, it's a really upbeat kind of sound
1: yeah it is it's like
2: say, God. God. yeah and
1: then everyone's having a good like he's like having a good time yeah, yeah. And, and
2: he plays it like three or four times something like that mm-hmm. yeah
1: so you do get that feeling of like childhood you do get that feeling of lightness during those times but at the same time it was the humor was kind of um at points i felt disoriented by the humor instead of like enjoying it like when i was when I, when it was like this is the punchline i'm like I don't know if that. I don't know if I can feel it like it's a punchline.
2: Right. Yeah. It doesn't feel right to laugh at some of these things.
1: Yeah, and maybe it's because. And maybe that's the
2: point. You know, it's maybe, it's, yeah. it's it's about guilt, guilt laughter. Mm-hmm. You know, implicating the audience.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Huff, a very very strong, emotionally charged show. Uh, both of us, we had a lot of feelings about it, which is always pretty. Like I think that's what theater should aim to do. Like to give you that kind of like feeling. To give you that kind of thought that foray into this kind of world like because you never want to leave a show and be like I didn't think of that at all I have like no I have no opinions I I have no no feelings no whatever like apathy that's not like right yeah so I think it did what it did in creating that kind of emotional like toll on both of us and I think we're gonna carry that with us
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I thought about it a lot over the last week or so Mm -hmm. it was a
1: pretty pretty strong show and I did enjoy it um, when i have to look at it in retrospect at that point i think i felt really buffeted
2: mm-hmm. by it right
1: cuz again yeah the atmosphere you have all that kind of things at once And now that i'm like kind of stepping back and revisiting it i can i can definitely appreciate the choices that they made more
2: right yeah i think i think i agree with that totally
1: all right yeah well anyway uh it's about uh 605. Just so you guys know, thank you so much for sticking with us the uh UVC uh CITR Arts Report. Just so you know, next week it is reading break. Huh? Are you guys doing anything for a reading break?
2: Uh reading. All
1: right. Okay, Andy. All right. That's good. <laughs> but Jake, are you doing anything for a reading
3: break? I'm I'm also open to some reading, but that might take a back burner to my activities. I'm going up to Whistler. My family's coming out from Ontario, oh, so that'll nice. be that'll be lovely. That's actually to be honest, that was one of the reasons why I came out to BC, was the Arts1 program and access to Whistler. Nice. And
1: it's like the best time to do it. Like, Whistler actually has snow.
3: Oh, yeah. It's, it's lovely here. And compared to Ontario right now, Ontario just has slush. Ugh. So you can't do much skiing there. But yeah. it's, it's going to be quite a time. What about you, Ashley?
1: Oh, well, thank you for the question. I'll actually be uh, flying down to Los Angeles uh, for reading break to help help the fam, to help the fam, not not to like enjoy the weather or anything like that. No, gosh, no. But anyway, I'm yeah. put people-
3: some Randy Newman on the stereo. <laughs> I love LA.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe I should. That can be on my uh, iTunes when I'm like going down the plane. Anyways, anyways. So reading break is coming up. Hopefully, everyone has a really lovely reading break. In addition, Valentine's Day is coming up too, and I don't know if you guys know, but there are actually some guys going around singing to girls and giving them roses.
3: Really? When I did that, I think they tried to put me in the hospital.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, really. They were like going around singing and giving roses to people, oh, and nice. I was wondering how, how um, UBC, you know, does Valentine's Day, and what best to ask than other UBC students? How do you guys do Valentine's Day?
3: In Arts One, we have candygrams. Oh. That's so that was that. That was actually, that was actually quite nice. I know I'm I I'm, I'm I'm single, so Valentine's Day is it is what it is for me.
1: Mm-hmm. What about you, Andy?
2: I don't think I've ever done Valentine's Day. So yeah.
1: Really, you've never done it?
2: Mm-hmm. It's commercial holidays, man. I don't
1: know. Okay, I'm, yo, I'm sorry. This is going to be an anti versus Ashley moment. But Jake, feel free to choose a side. But I personally think that Uh-oh. Valentine's Day, I'm going to be for Valentine's Day. I know it's commercialized, but it also gives people kind of the push to do something maybe that they usually normally don't do for their partner. Like maybe they're like, I've always wanted to do something, but I felt super awkward about it. But everyone's doing it. I can just jump on that bandwagon and, you know. Oh. There's nothing wrong with, like, appreciating of, of appreciating That somebody. sounds more
3: like an I was drunk excuse. No! Doesn't oh it? A little bit. Oh, my God. Like, like you know, I, w- I wouldn't normally say I love you, man, but, you know, since I had, like, five beers and half a bottle of Jack, I love you, dude. I love you like, like a brother, except more than that. Like, like sort of platonically, but not really. And they're like, okay, that's uncomfortable. Okay, but that, was, that was quite a tangent. But, yeah, I, but I do take time- your point.
1: Other person might be like, that is so nice of you. And you know what? It is good to celebrate love of all kinds. It is, that's true.
2: you've convinced me. I love Valentine's Day now.
1: Woohoo! I did it! Anyways, I hope everyone's enjoying their reading break. Unfortunately, next week Arts Report won't be on, but the week after, we definitely will. Thank you for listening to CATR Arts Report on